wonderful to be back in the house of the Lord this morning and uh, being here, uh, especially on, I guess this would be service, sermon, lesson, however we want to use that word, number two in a pretty long process that we'll be in, in together. Uh, we started this past Wednesday night with a creation story, and this morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 3 here in a few moments, but beginning a, a process in which we'll go through the Bible, I would say chronologically, but we'll be cutting uh, over into Easter uh, passages when we get to the season of Lent, we'll be in Christmas passages when we get to the Christmas and the Advent season, but throughout the other portions of the year, we're going to be progressing through the Bible in mostly a chronological order and looking forward to being able to do that with you. This morning as we go to Genesis chapter 3, it's necessary for you to think for just a moment about the, the story that kind of precedes it. So let me just set this in context. Um, one of them is, you know, after seven days, or actually six days of creating, as we read the creation story, uh, we get to a segment where God rested. If you remember that on the Sabbath, God rested. And then after that is when He began creating people. And, and one of the, the greatest gifts that was given is very easily argued the first gift given to mankind is when God decides to form humanity and then breathe the breath of life into his nostrils is how we read this. Uh, one of the things I think is also necessary to notice, God spoke everything into existence until it came time to form man. And I think it's important for you to hear that God formed man. There's a different verbiage for how mankind was created. And that God gifted mankind with a first gift, which was breathing life into man. That's in chapter 2, verse 7. One of the other things we read in that is that it's not just that he gifted and he created man, but he tasked mankind. Um, one of the things that we read in there at a couple of different times is that God was not only creating humanity in his image, but there was a task given to, to image God, essentially, that you were created to take care of, to steward over. Uh, we, this past Wednesday night, in a bit of exploration, talked for a moment about the stereotypes that come along. We have probably heard the phrase calling someone a tree hugger. You ever heard someone being called? a tree hugger. Maybe you yourself have been called a tree hugger. I don't know. But the reality is in the scheme of taking care of earth, of saving, of protecting, of stewarding, <clears throat> though the tree hugger phrase may come with some negative connotation that's not exactly what creating the image of God is about, you should also make the connection that Christians should be on the forefront of taking care of this earth that God gave us. It's kind of one of the big tasks that was given to humanity in creation was that we image God and that we steward over and we take care of. And then one of the other parts of this is not just that we would image God to all of creation, but to, but to be the image of God in that the way that we take care of each other. Uh, that that was our responsibility. And so it is with that understanding of that kind of launching place. I mean, they're put in this Garden of Eden with a very simple task, a place that you might define or describe almost as utopia. You have everything you need. I mean, this morning, many of you walked in with heavy coats on and you were shivering to get inside and be cold. We gather that the weather of the Garden of Eden was perfect. Why was it perfect? Because they weren't wearing clothes. You know what I mean? Like, it couldn't have gotten too cold. You know what I mean? So, like, you just think about these things. There's got to be some level. Like, everything there was beautiful, was perfect. Food was taken care of. It wasn't the, the, the problem of their needs. But it was that Adam and Eve had this, they had this one thing created in the garden that we'll spend some time talking about. And it was this tree with a specific fruit. Now, I have brought a very non-theologically correct item with me on stage this morning. Uh, this happens to be a red apple. It is the fruit that is most likely, or most often, I should say, uh, uh, created or, or depicted in paintings. However, as you will read in the story of Genesis, uh, it never mentions an apple. It just talks about fruit. And so I guess I'm just kind of participating in a theological mistake. Uh, but we'll use this. 
as our, as our object of the, the fruit that is there. So Genesis chapter 3, if you would stand for the reading of the Word this morning, and we're going to read what I would consider to be a beautiful conundrum created by God. That's, that's how we'll enter this, is a beautiful conundrum that was created by God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. God, we come before you this morning reading a story that is most likely titled in our Bibles, The Fall of Man. Yet God, in this story, there is such great tra tragedy, but there is also such great beauty and help us as we navigate through the two. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The story you're reading is the beginning story that for many people who have a problem with God, that they believe in God and yet have a problem with Him, or a problem with the existence of God, that entire problem and conundrum begins in this story. One of the things that people ask oftentimes is like, wouldn't it have been easier to just omit this story? I mean, think for just a moment. If we had never had the fall of man, if, if Adam and Eve had never eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or better yet, if God had just never created the thing, wouldn't it be better for us all? And I know it'd be easy to think that, yes, we should, we should, we should yearn for some sort of maybe of a utopia. Uh, I mean, we... We don't like that we live in a world that has pain, in a world that has chaos, in a world that has uh, those frustrations that evil is in this world. But one of the things I need you to hear this morning, if maybe for the first time and maybe as a reminder, and I know this sounds very, very odd, evil is necessary, okay? Evil is a requirement for God to love you. I know you don't want to, I know you don't like that, the way that sounds. And, and if, if you're lost in that, in that place, give me a few moments, like, let's talk through this. One of the things that people have trouble with is they start asking the question, like, well, evil necessary or not? Like, where did evil even come from? Like, how did this begin? How did this happen? I mean, we read that the serpent was made by God and more crafty and those sorts of things. And, and you start asking the question, like, did, did God create evil? Like, did he, did he make the serpent to be a stumbling block for Adam and Eve? And why would he do something to trip his own people? Those are good questions, okay? Bear, please bear with me. If you've ever had those, those troubles, bear with me for a moment. Let's work through this. And, and people say, well, if we're going to talk about like, where evil came from, well, you know, we know that evil and Satan was an angel that was thrown out of heaven. And it even, the Bible even says about, you know, he was so strong that when he was knocked out of heaven because he was so prideful, when he was knocked out of heaven, that he took down a third of the angels with him, right? Some of you are going to be tempted to be lost in the sermon after the next few minutes. I need you to covenant with me that you will stick with me for a moment. I don't know that the story we've been peddling in the church for a long time is accurate. The passage that we reference about Lucifer or the day star being thrown out of heaven is in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 14. Some of you who are going to have, who have, who are heavily bought into this, this evil being thrown from heaven, I need you to read this passage with me, okay? Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Go there and follow along just for a moment. Let me illustrate something to you because there's some things that do not line up in the way that we've taught. Where did Satan, where did evil come from? 
In Isaiah 14, we read this passage and it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, or O day star, depending on your translation, how you have been cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. This story has been read time and time again. And it's been stated that this is the story of Lucifer, the fallen angel being thrown down from heaven. And I have a problem with that. I have several. And one of them is this. Think with me for a moment. If Lucifer was thrown down from heaven, are you then saying that an angel itself created evil? Or are you then saying that evil was present in heaven? Like, work with me for a moment. Was evil in heaven with God? Like, the only options. If Lucifer chose to step away from God and try to overthrow or however we want to tell that story, you're ultimately saying that evil is present in heaven or was present in heaven. I have trouble with that. I also have trouble with you saying that, that some angel by itself created the evil in order to, to follow, in order to, to, to then fall. And folks, if you don't have enough trouble with that story of like, how is it possible that either angels created evil or that evil is present in heaven because it doesn't line up with the rest of the ways we understand heaven, then I need you also to look back just a few verses and read Isaiah chapter 14 verse 3 where this begins. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and fear from the hard bondage which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and you will say these words. Folks, the words that you just read were given to a prophet to say to an earthly king of how you have lifted your health, yourself so high, but you will be... Understand now, look back at it, it's almost like a, there's a, some of those movies that take place where like at the end you start re realizing like, oh my, the thing's lying up. Go back. This is a prophetic word of what will happen. You have raised yourself up and you shall be brought down. You will in the future be brought down. This is not a story. Folks have a hard time buying this is a story of where evil came from. And you say, well, what about the, 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 the sweeping a third of the angels from the heavens? Folks, it's in Revelation 12. Feel free. Go back and read it in verse 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 4. That there was a, a dragon that that was uh, that swept down a third of the stars as a as a sign of its power. And folks, if you're if you're going to try to sow Revelation 12 to Isaiah 14 again, like I've got a problem with this. Revelation 1:1 says this was something a a vision given of the things that should soon come to pass. If that story is soon to come to pass, how are you attributing the the dragon knocking down stars back to Lucifer? If this is a vision of what was going to happen in the future. I'm just telling you, our stories don't line up very well, okay? Our understanding of where evil came from does not line up very well. And I understand some of you this morning are feeling one of two thoughts. Either A, either A, you think Pastor Daniel's a heretic because I'm, I'm, I'm taking on some of the, the tendencies and the notions that we've had in the past of where evil came from. Folks, it is my opinion that we in the church have done so diligently and we've worked hard to try and to give people good answers and to give people solid understanding that sometimes we've been guilty of sewing together things in our 
in our imaginations so that it lines up prim and proper. Because it makes sense to us if we have a story of where evil came from so that we can point back to it and say, there it is, and this is what happened. And it was this evil's fault. Because that's a lot harder than saying what I'm telling you this morning is the truth. I don't know where evil came from, but the story we've been peddling for years is inadequate. I have trouble, I have trouble navigating. I believe that God is over all, God sees all, and at some level I have to make peace with either God created evil or allowed it. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know which one of those I'm gonna make peace with, but I, I can say this, whether this morning you want to say that, you know, I'm not so sure about what Pastor Daniel's saying or you still wanna disagree, and that's fine, okay? I, I'll be honest with you, we're going to walk out of this space and if our biggest disagreement is where evil came from, we've done well, amen? Like if that's our biggest disagreement is where evil came from, come on now. Like, because regardless of where you are making peace with where evil came from, we can acknowledge one thing without question. In the garden, the presence of evil was present, okay? There's no... There's no discussing this. I mean, it's in black and white. It's very clear. It's clearly translated. There's no questions. In the garden, this serpent that was more crafty, representing and being and being used by, however you want to view that, doesn't matter to me. The bottom line is evil was in the garden. And my, 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 my main point in, in challenging you in this is saying, know that if you want to continue to tell the stories of an angel being thrown from the heavens, know that at some point your children or your grandchildren are going to ask you a very tough question about how you get that from Isaiah because it's tough, all right? But as we move forward, let's move forward with the understanding that no matter where evil came from, evil was in the garden and that still is problematic for us because people will still ask the question and we still have to, have to grapple with for a moment. But why did God leave or, or, or put evil, whether he placed it or allowed it to be there. I, I, I'm very quick to say that whatever happens is because God allows it. I don't think there's anything that trumps God. I don't think there's anything that overpowers God. So anything that happens at its core, God has allowed this to take place. Whether he caused it or not, I, we can talk about, but he allows it for sure. And so in the process of him allowing this, why would God allow evil in the garden? Why not utopia? Why, why put this tree there? And I'm here to tell you this morning, he put the tree there because it's the second greatest gift in order. The second greatest gift he ever gave you is the tree. He first showed you he loved you by breathing life into your nostrils. And then he put this out there for your opportunity. And as much as this is what ended up destroying the relationship that they had in the Garden of Eden, this was the second greatest gift he could have given them. And some of you still don't, I, you get, you're frustrated like, but why? Why put something that was an intentional stumbling block in front of his people, in front of his creation? Folks, if you plant Adam and Eve in a place of utopia where there is no other option but to do what God has told them, then they are never capable of loving God. They are simply following through with what they have been programmed to do. So the, the necessity of having evil in a tree of the knowledge of something that they were supposed to stay away from, the necessity of having that, and the reason I tell you it's the greatest, the second gift in order, one of the top three gifts that God ever gave you is breathing life into you, giving you a choice, and then sending Jesus Christ to, to die on the cross for your sins. That's, that's, the, that's the three, okay? So when you start working through those, these are the big three gifts, and as much as this is a conundrum of a gift, it's still absolutely a gift because you don't have to spend your life Folks, the computer you use every day is operating based on what it's been programmed to do. The cell phone you use every day is operating on how it's been programmed to operate. Even AI, as we're getting more and more nervous about what AI's possibilities are, are still based in what they have been created to do. You know, the, the gift that's been given to you is God breathes life into your nostrils, tells you he loves you, gives you, forms you. And you're like, 
creates you in the image of God to image God and then says, but you don't have to love me back because here's something else you could choose. Here's something else you could pick. And by giving you a choice, it is the, the second gift in order. And I'm, man, I struggle sometimes with putting them in order. I'm just saying they're the top three. Breathing not life into our body. Jesus is not necessary if we don't have life, okay? Jesus is not necessary if we don't have choice. You understand? So I know this sounds weird, but putting the garden, putting the apple in the garden may have even been the greatest sign of love of God that he's ever given to us. It might possibly be the best thing he's ever done for us is show you he loves you by giving you the choice, giving you the way through Jesus Christ, but giving you a choice. And so we read of why, why is evil here? And, and, and to kind of sew that part of it up a little bit better this morning, the pain and the anguish and the anger and the frustrations that you deal with are the ripple effects of the fall of man. They're the ripple effects of choice. Not one of us in this room sits here without having suffered because of our own decisions. Amen? We'd love as much as possible to blame it on a serpent or something else or somebody else. But the reality is we cause ourselves a lot of pain. Not just because sometimes when we build things, we hit our thumbs with a hammer. Okay? But we also do that spiritually speaking. We sabotage ourselves. The more... I See... I don't have a problem to stay with the analogy of a hammer. I don't have as much of a problem when I have, have you ever had a purple thumbnail? You know what I mean? Like you hit the thing so hard, you end up with a purple thumbnail. It's awful, right? I don't have as much of a problem when I have a purple thumbnail because I hit it. I have a really big problem when I have a purple thumbnail because somebody else hit it. You know what I mean? All right, but here's the problem. As much as I have to live with the problems I caused, I'll say this the easiest way first. You have to live with the problems I caused. You will live in the ripples of my mistakes. I mean, let's just be very real. Pastor Daniel has a spiritual, personal blow-up. This suffers. This body suffers because of what I've done. You, you can lie to yourself and say, I'm me and I do what I want. Nobody affects. No, no, no. That's, you're absolutely sticking your head in the sand. You look completely foolish when you, when you say that you're independent, okay? Because you do things that ripple me and I do things that ripple you. And that is the byproduct of us all having choice. There are some of you this morning that you've wondered, why in the world did God allow the evil that was done to you when you were a child or a younger person and you had no control? Number one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that somebody else's free will wrecked part of your life. But it is a unfortunate, is the best word I can come up with. It's, a, it's an awful and an unfortunate reality that we live in the ripple effects, not only of our own free will, but in the free will of others. We live in their ripple effects as well. So this morning, when you, when you read through this, I know we don't enjoy pain and we don't enjoy the frustrations and the anguish and the proverbial, you know, purple thumbnails. But the reality is those are all the byproducts of the greatest gift God gave us, which is the ability to love him back and do as he asked us to do by imaging God to each other or not. And when we choose or not, there's a lot of busted thumbnails, okay? A lot of them. You continue on through the story, and, and, I, and I'm saying this morning that we may, we may read this and have some very difficult discussions about where does evil come from, and there's some very open, un, unanswered, and open problems in asking that question of like, how does that come about? But let's, let's at least acknowledge this this morning, that this story gives us a very clear look at how evil interacts with humanity and some of the things that can be learned to make you stronger. And so for the rest of this time together we have, let's covenant together. Let's look at this story and learn a little bit and talk a little bit about regardless of where evil came from, regardless of how much we wish utopia, we may think we wish, you don't really want utopia, okay? You may think that you want that utopia and there's no evil in the world, 
But the, the, the next step in this is, is to acknowledge evil is present. Now let's look at how evil wrecked all of humanity in this falling from the garden, all right? Let's look at that and say, like, what can we learn? One of the first things that I want to acknowledge in this story is we read, going back to that Genesis chapter 3 passage, where Adam and Eve, especially Eve, is interacting. One is that, that Eve begins by mentally entertaining the evil, okay? The first thing. I know we picture this sometimes as, and I've even heard people preach, if you stay away from the tree, you won't be tempted as much because you need to stay away from it, that Eve was tempted at the tree. As a matter of fact, artwork all over the place. We even use artwork that's depicting that the serpent was inside the tree. Will you go back for just a minute in Genesis chapter 3 and share with me where the evil is inside the tree talking to Eve? It's a good answer, by the way, because it's not there, okay? We don't know where the conversation first began. It seems logical that they were sitting there looking at it because it makes sense to us. But the reality is, all we know is evil began to, to poke, prod, and, and plant seeds into Eve's mind to allow her to begin discussing, all right? To begin thinking through. And the problem is this. When you begin to discuss things, when you begin to entertain things, you're doing something. There's a book I've been uh, reading here recently. An individual, uh, Stephanie Anderson, our church, is, is wanting to do a Bible study, and she asked me to read, or not a Bible study, but a book study, she asked me to read a book called Mama Bear. I don't know if you read it or not, I'm very intrigued by what I've read by it so far, and I really like a lot of it. But in Mama Bear, one of the things they talk about is the concept of chewing and spitting. You may not be familiar with this, I know you are from an eating standpoint, <clears throat> but if you are going to taste something and see if it's good or not, what must you do? Go to your mouth, chew it for a minute, decide, am I going to swallow this and take it in or am I going to spit it out? And it's one of the ideas that she talks about. It's like within this earth, we have to deal with a lot of like chewing and spitting. We take in ideas, we think about them, we, we proverbially chew them, and then we decide whether or not we're going to swallow and ingest them or we're going to spit them out. Very similar, by the way, to how I deconstructed the idea of Satan being thrown out of heaven. You're going to spend some time chewing and deciding whether or not to spit, okay? Very similar. But in the, in the process of chewing and spitting, sin often begins in the mental task of thinking and, and dwelling on that, that item. And you have to be careful because sometimes as you think about that sin, that thing that will separate you from God, that thing that, that you know to be wrong and yet you're still kind of thinking through it, we recognize that in this, she begins by mentally entertaining and then progresses into the process of, well, let's talk about this and discuss it for a little bit. Even goes back and forth with evil in her mind. And in that going back and with evil in her mind, she begins to rationalize the idea of it. Have you ever had something before where there was a bad idea, but the more you thought about it, the more you thought, this is not such a bad idea. You know, sometimes it's still a bad idea, you know? Sometimes you think about things and you're like, this is not that, that bad of an idea. And some of them are very harmless. You know, some things we do. I remember my dad talking to me about, uh, we were riding dirt bikes and he was talking about, you know, you can climb this big hill over here. He told me what gear to be in. And the more we talked about it, the more I thought, yeah, I can climb that hill on this dirt bike. It's a great idea. I can remember arriving at the top of that hill. I was still in third gear. I was still in the gas wide open. And when I left the ground on the bike and realized I was landing in trees, I realized I've been talked into a bad idea. I rationalized something that was a bad idea in a very real way. I would imagine most every sin and separation that you've had in your life began as a thought that you began to discuss and allow evil to rationalize in your mind that it wasn't that bad. One of the first things to do to get you to sin is to minimize what you're doing, is to act like what you're doing is not that big of a deal. Not present in the story of what I'm about to say, not present in the story, 
But one of my experiences is, especially using our, our way of comparing sin, this is not as bad as somebody else, or this is not as bad as that, this is okay. And so we, evil helps us, if you will. Evil encourages us to rationalize. I mean, think about this in verse 6 when you read this part of the story. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Yeah. When, when she saw, it was pleasing to the eye and also recognized that by eating this, I will gain wisdom that I do not currently have. Win, win, win. Understand? One of the realities of sin is that by rationalizing and working through these things, we ultimately tell God, I know what you said, but I know better. Um, I've arrived at the conclusion that you're wrong. That's what you're doing. I mean, it may not feel like, that's the ultimate. Like, I've arrived at the conclusion where I know better than you and I've decided this is okay. It doesn't matter if you told me not to for whatever reason, you know? And then one of the very, very damaging parts is that oftentimes when we begin to jump off into this, more times than not, not all the time, but more times than not, and in this story as well, <clears throat> it's not just that we take a bite, it's that we pass it to our friends as well. See, because we've arrived at the rationalization that this is not that bad, so then we need to find other people to do it as well so that they're in with us and then we feel less bad about doing what we knew was wrong. I mean, folks, if you're adults this morning, it's easy to look back at maybe some childhood mistakes that you made and you see these trends taking place. You see the way that you, you operated before and you start off with saying things of just allowing that temptation, that thought to dwell in your mind for a little bit. <clears throat> and then you start thinking things like, what would it be like to actually do that thing? And then you start rationalizing what's there and typically you minimize it and you say things like, it's just an apple or it's just a drink, or it's just a few dollars, or it's just sex, or it's just a habit, or it's just what I want. And when you begin into the rationalization place of saying, it's just this, we find ourselves making horrible decisions. I look back at this story and you, you still ask the questions of like, why? Why, do we, why did humanity do this? But if we're very honest with ourselves, it's not just why did Adam and Eve do this, it's why have we done this, okay? Let's go ahead and make peace with something this morning. If you have sinned, raise your hand. Why did we do that? You know what I mean? Like whatever it was, why did we do that? But in the moment, it seemed like we had come up with a good reason for why this was something we should do. I think we could spend time in the psychological study of these things. Maybe it's time because, maybe we, we sinned because we like feeling like we're in control. See, when you submit to God, you have to do whatever He says, but in sinning, I do what I want. I think sometimes people sabotage their own lives for a sense of control, just so that they can have that sense of like, this is mine. I wonder sometimes, was it that they were not content with what God have, gave them? Was it their lack of con being content with how God called them to live that, that drove them to this space? The thing I believe is a, a beautiful closing for us this morning is because uh, we reflect on how sin works. One, I'm going to ask our praise and worship band, they're going to lead us in one closing song and a chance for us to be able to respond. And one of the ways for us to be able to respond this morning is this. I, I don't think I'm going to let a big cat out of the bag. I, I don't think this is going to come as a novel idea or, or, or like shake your world. But I need to remind you this morning, evil has not given up on you. It may be this morning that there are things in your life that you look back at that you've rationalized and you know 100% what I've been talking about because the Holy Spirit's already been working in your heart to share with you, these are the things that you've been rationalizing. This is the thing that you're doing that you know is wrong and you've rationalized it away and you use the excuses. That preacher even said the same thing you said, you know, and you've been in those spaces before. Or maybe this morning you find yourself in a place where you are scared and worried that you may find yourself at that tree again, that you recognize in your humanness that evil has not given up and you simply want to kneel before God this morning and say, 
If there is somewhere that evil is beginning its work, God, would you make it known so that I can, I can cut it out before it even begins? I'd invite you to stand with me this morning. And, and all we're going to do as a, as a place of closing is to sing a song together and be able to, to end in this kind of worshipful song. But I, I think it's, it's important that we as a, as a group of believers are in a place and have a place offered to us where it's like, if you want to kneel here this morning and say, God, make me strong. Uh, strengthen me, fortify me, keep me from, from allowing evil to sneak into my life and, and, and talk me into things or convince me of things. Or maybe this morning you want to kneel here and say, God, I know I've participated in this and forgive me of those things. Regardless, it's a beautiful closing to a service this morning just to say, help me be better at understanding evil in my life. So this morning, let's sing this song together. And as soon as we do, we'll close in prayer. And if you'd like to gather here or kneel where you are, I invite you to do so. Let's sing together. This morning, as we go back into this world, as we go back into the life that we're living, it may be necessary for you during prayer time to acknowledge the things that you recognize God has been, or evil has been using to separate you from God. Or maybe this morning just to say, God, please protect me. Please, please help me be aware when it is evil trying to, trying to talk me in, trying to get me to rationalize, strengthen us so that we don't find ourselves falling to the same temptations that began in the Garden of Eden. Either place is such a, a holy place to end a service, and so let's do that now. God, we come before you today thanking you for who you are, thanking you for being a God who loved us enough to give us a choice. God, we recognize that that choice has ripple effects that cause us and the people around us pain, so God, it, it, it puts even, even more for us to, more reason for us to ask, God, strengthen us. When the, when the serpent of our life, when evil begins to try and, and trick or talk us into or get us to entertain thoughts in our minds, God, would you please strengthen us in those moments? Help us to have the ability to recognize evil when evil is in the beginning stages of trying to mess us up. God, of, of trying to convince us of doing wrong, of sinning, of doing things that we know are not of God. God, for those of us this morning who may be standing in, in front of a chair, feeling the guilt of having been duped, maybe even the, the guilt of having gone along with whatever rationalization they've allowed themselves to go through, God, I pray this morning that you would help them to find, God, the, the Savior who sets them free like the song we sang about. God, to be able to ask you this morning to forgive them of the mistakes that they've made, of the sins that they've committed, of the rationalizations that they've justified in their mind maybe once and maybe hundreds of times. God, would you help them to find not only forgiveness, but freedom from those things. God, we pray this morning as you send us back out into this world, it is our desire to be better Christians because we want to be holy, because we want to live in the image of God as you created us to in the beginning. God, we love you and we thank you. It is your son's name we pray. Now send us back into this world. Amen. Amen.